All right, good evening once again. If you guys can turn in your Bibles back to the uh, book of Mark. And we will continue uh, this morning, or continue where we left off uh, this morning. Mark chapter 1, for those that weren't with us. Um, this morning as we opened up, uh, we, we were reminded of the, the angle or the aspect that Mark takes as he looks at the Savior. Um, he looks at the Savior through the eyes of a servant, and uh, keep in mind that um, this, this letter would have been written uh, more to a crowd of, of a Gentile uh, descent, um, the Romans, and things of that nature as we looked at this morning. And that being said, it's, absence of, they're, they're, it's absent of a lot of things. Uh, there's no genealogy mentioned, as we've talked about this morning. Um, but the one thing that it brings out, and the one thing that Mark stresses through this gospel, is the qualifications of Christ as the perfect servant. Um, that's, that is what you want to know if, you, if you're going to hire somebody. If somebody's going to be your servant, he's going to work for you uh, on, or on your behalf, you want to know, is he qualified to do the job? And here, time and time again, we see the qualifications of our Savior, the fact that he's qualified. Uh, we were reminded this morning that at his baptism, um, the heavens were opened, uh, the Spirit descended upon him like a dove, and God from heaven, the Father, said, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Um, marking or starting the, uh, the, um, the beginning of his earthly ministry, um, the, the, the three-year ministry, and putting a stamp of approval on those 30 silent years, um, showing that in, in those times he was perfect. And as we went forward, um, we saw the temptation of the Lord, the fact that he was driven into the spirit, uh, driven into the wilderness by the spirit to be tested. That was the purpose of him going there. Um, and he came out perfect. Um, again, qualified. And then finally, he, he began his earthly ministry preaching the gospel and, and calling for um, the nation and for the towns to repent, um, th this area of Galilee. And, and everywhere he, were, he went, he preached this message of repentance. Turn to God from your sin. Repent and believe to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ and what he, is, uh, what he did for uh, them or was going to do for them on the cross. Um, and so uh, what we did is we opened up this idea of discipleship, and I'd like to look at it a little bit further uh, this, this evening. And so just for the sake of context, context, we'll jump back to verse 16. It says, And as he walked by the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Then Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. They immediately left their nets and followed him. And we're reminded this morning of what it takes to be a disciple. Um, Jesus had preached this, this great message. Um, he had preached the gospel of, of repentance, and he gave a call to everyone. But right after that call was another call, a call, a call to discipleship, a call to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And what did that, what did that entail? Um, it, it meant for them to follow him, uh, to let go of their earthly um, wants and desires, and to, to let go and to follow. 
um, follow him wherever that meant. Um, and it says they immediately obeyed. Uh, they left their nets. And as we looked at this morning, uh, this was their livelihood. Uh, this, is what, this is how they paid the bills. Um, does this mean that God desires for all of us to quit our jobs and to go? Um, to go with Russ to the pier and um, to, to, to just go? No. But it does mean that you, you should be willing to let go. Um, if God desires to, to move you in a certain direction, um, a preacher put it one way. He said, don't drive your tent pegs or tent stakes in too deep. Um, keep in mind that we are pilgrims in this world. Um, this is not our home. And um, if you drive the tent pegs in too deep, which I, as a, as a Boyd Brigader, has done in the past, and it takes a long time to get those things out. Um, and um, we should be willing to go. If, if, if the Lord is to um, use us and, and, and we are willing to be used, uh, we should be willing to go if he, if he tells us uh, to go here, to go there. And this is what these disciples did. This is what Simon and Andrew did. They let go. They let go of their jobs, and they, they went and followed. Now, we know at least Simon had a family. Um, we'll see that in a couple verses, that his mother-in-law uh, was sick. Um, that, and we can assume and, and um, infer from that that there was, a, there was a wife involved, and we don't know, perhaps children. Um, and he left that fishing uh, his job and went um, to follow the Lord Jesus. These men that were called were fishermen. And uh, one thing about fishermen um, is uh, fishermen have a certain eye. Um, growing up, going up and down from, from Big Bear and going up and down from Bishop and Yosemite and all these places with great fishing spots, um, one thing that just, I, it was oblivious to me when we were driving with Dad was that as we were driving along a stream or a river, uh, he would slow the car down and stop and go, oh man. And I look out the window thinking there's something cool to see and there's nothing. It's just the stream and some trees and a rock and, and they had formed some pool and I'm looking, is there a bear, is there a deer, so what's, what, what does he see? And all he saw was a good fishing spot. Um, and what here, what Jesus says is, he says, leave your nets, leave your fishing equipment. He says, I'm going to make you fishers of men. Well, what do fisher, fishers of men have? What was Jesus going to teach them in the next three years? He was going to teach them to have eyes of a fisherman, to look for those opportunities to share the gospel and to reach lost souls. Um, and how do we do that? Um, we should pray for these opportunities. Um, Jabe Nicholson, who's... In my book, he's not a shy person, um, but in his eyes he is, and he's a scaredy cat, according to him. Um, he prays every day for opportunities to share the gospel and to have those fisherman eyes, eyes of a fisherman that look and see opportunities. It could be with a waiter or waitress. Um, it could be with a person that's across the, uh, the pump from you. Um, one time, and, and I try to make it a habit of leaving uh, CDs in my truck, and I have them in the sleeve behind the driver's seat. And any time, and it's just a personal conviction for myself, any time I pull up to a pump, and I've got to pump gas, which is in the truck, it's like every other day. But um, when I'm pumping gas and somebody pulls up on the other side, there's just that awkward 30 seconds to a minute where you're both just leaning up against your cars and watching the numbers run. 
And so I purpose in my heart, as much as I can, and I'm convicted if I don't do this, is to give a gospel CD to, to the person across the way. Um, I've only had one rejection in, since I've been doing this, and it's going on a couple years now. Um, and one time, one time, and it's usually the ones that you never think could happen. Uh, this one time, I gave, I gave the CD to the girl, and um, I, was, I got in my car, and I think I had the kids in the car with me, and she came up knocking on the window, and she was just in tears, just crying. And um, I thought, oh no, what did I do? You know, did I offend somebody? Um, and I got out, and, and it was just, she, it's what she needed. Uh, she needed the gospel, and she needed to hear it, and she was just in a bad place in her life. And um, it, so to have those eyes, to have fishermen's eyes, um, eyes of a fisherman, and look for those opportunities, coworkers, um, what an opportunity do we have right now when the world, this country as it seems, is kind of in, a, in turmoil. Um, it seems like everybody at the grocery store, everybody walking down the street wants to talk about the election. It's just on there, and they're, they're eager to talk. That's a great opportunity to talk about the Savior, to talk about the Lord, and it's an open door uh, that we should all go through. So here Jesus calls these men uh, to, to, to follow him. Now in verse 19 it says, When he had gone a little farther from there, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were also in the boat mending their nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father, Zebedee, in the boat with hired servants and went after him. Now this is very interesting. Here not only do we have um, James and John, who uh, later become uh, um, one of the Lord Jesus' intimates um, in, in the group of disciples, Peter also being one of them, where they were uh, given special privileges and things that, um, that other, the other disciples didn't get to. Uh, they were able to see things the other disciples weren't, didn't get to. And it's not that God has favorites, but as Joe McHale always says, he has intimates, um, people that uh, he, he, he is close with. And here he calls these two brothers, and it says they left their father in the boat. Now, here in, in our culture, in America, and I, I speak for, for my culture, um, we don't, as far as, you know, the elderly, you know, uh, um, we, have, we have nice facilities and homes and things like that, but other cultures take their parents in, um, and they, they nurture them, and, and nowadays we're building houses in the back of houses, um, especially in Los Angeles, um, mother-in-law quarters, they call them. And, and, and with the idea of as, as mom and dad get older, they're going to come and live with us. And this was the same in this culture as well, to take care of your parents. That was, that was a huge responsibility for the children. And here we see James and John leaving their father on the boat with the hired hands and, and, and forsaking. Not only did they leave their jobs, but they left their father, their family. Um, and, and what that reminded me of is in Luke, and if you want to turn there, Luke chapter 14, Jesus lays out some guidelines if we want to be followers or to be disciples of the Lord Jesus. And he also says there's things that you, you have to do um, in order to do so. In Luke chapter 14, in verse 26, it says, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. 
This is, these, are, these are strong words. Um, these are words that are, that are hard to hear um, and even harder to, to do. Um, we love our families. Um, we love our parents. We love our wives. We love our children. Um, what is Jesus saying here? Jesus is saying that compared to your relationship with your family versus your love and relationship with me, it should seem as though you hate them because you love me so much. That's the compare. That's the contrast. That you, that you love me so much, that you desire to be a follower of me so much that in com- comparison, you hate your family. Now, you don't, we're not, in the, in the beginning of the, the, uh, the book of Mark, of uh, the book of Matthew, Jesus on the Sermon of the Mount says what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to love, love our neighbors, love ourselves, love our families, love everybody. But here he says hate. Well, what does that mean? It's that comparison. And it says, he says, not only if you don't do this, he says, you can't be my disciple. He says, you won't be my disciple unless you do these things. Um, what do we see? This is what we see in, in the life of, of James and John. That, yes, they love their father. There's no question. They love their father. But they were willing to leave him and to follow the Lord Jesus. And, and that, is a, that is a true call of discipleship. Again, like we said this morning, uh, Bill McDonald wrote a very powerful book. Um, and, and, and in it are some very strong words. And, and it's basically just a commentary of, of the Bible. Um, and he says some very strong things. And even he confesses that it's hard to do these things. Um, and in here, we see that these men not only left their careers, very hard to do, but they left their family. They left their father. Um, and, and they left him to follow the Lord Jesus. And it's, it's a willingness to let go of these things um, and, and to, to be a disciple, to be a Christ, a sold-out Christ follower, and that's what that looks like. Um, so as we, as we continue, Jesus moves forward, having gathered his disciples. And in verse 21, it says, Then they went into Capernaum, or, or uh, the town of Nahum, and immediately on the Sabbath he entered the synagogue and taught, and they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. Um, so as Jesus goes along his earthly ministry, and if you look in the book of Mark, there's, there's uh, several different um, arenas where Jesus is teaching. Um, sometimes it's by a seashore. Uh, sometimes it's on a mountain. Uh, sometimes it's in a synagogue or a temple. Um, and there's very, uh, various places where Jesus teaches. And in here he goes, on the Sabbath, he goes straight into the synagogue. Um, and, he, and he teaches, and the people are astonished at his teaching. Um, they're amazed at the words that are coming from this man. Um, many believe that it's, you know, it's, who is this guy from Nazareth? You know, isn't he a carpenter's son? How does he know all these things? And it says he taught as one having authority. Um, well, he, he was there uh, when the book was written. Um, and, and he wrote the book, um, but it says he taught not as the scribes. Um, he taught the Bible, he taught the scriptures the way that they were meant to be taught. Um, he taught with authority. It says um, in, in, in John seven forty six when, when uh, the, the Sanhedrin or the, the, um, the religious leaders send, send the, the, the temple guards to go arrest Jesus, um, and, and they send them out to go capture him, they come back empty-handed, and, and the, the religious leaders say, what, why didn't you grab him? And he says, no one ever spake like that man. Um, and um, 
he taught and, and, and people were astonished. Um, and now as we move forward, we get into the first miracle that is um, mentioned in Mark. And in verse 23, it says, there was a man in their synagogue with an unclean spirit and he cried out saying, let us alone, what have we to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? Did you come to destroy us? I know you are the Holy One of God. It's very interesting that this man, where do we find this man? He wasn't in the town square. He wasn't by the seashore. He wasn't in a cave up in the mountains. Where was this, this man with an unclean spirit? He was in the synagogue. Um, and, and I think it's very interesting that the place that this man was found. Um, and uh, we don't see that these men brought him to Jesus as, as, as they, they identified him as, as being demon-possessed and brought him to him. We just see that he was there amongst the, the, the religious leaders. Um, very interesting, I think. Um, so this man with this, this, this evil spirit and this, the spirit speaks, this, this de demon speaks, and he says, let us alone. What have we to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? Did you come to destroy us? I know you are the Holy One of God. Um, and, and in this, we, we get a, a glimpse at uh, the demonic nature or, or, or demonology, the study of demons, and, and how they possess these people. Now, this was rampant in this time. Um, we looked even at, if you, if you look at um, contemporary history, um, history books that, that speak of this time, demonic possession was just rampant in this time, uh, during the Roman time. And, and this would have struck a chord with the Romans, uh, a Gentile reading this or hearing this. Um, this would have been common news for them. They would have always seen this. Um, in my time at work, uh, I, you know, growing up in Rancho Cucamonga, you know, coming to Claremont, I didn't really get a lot of exposure to you know, people under the influence of drugs, um, people that uh, uh, were, had severe mental disabilities. And, and that was what I learned as soon as I got to work, um, working Hollywood division, and um, they're everywhere. Um, and, and watching the effects of drugs on people and watching the effects of, of various um, mental disabilities. And throughout this whole time, I, you could kind of, as soon as you talk to somebody for a couple minutes, you can kind of gauge, now, nowadays, I can kind of gauge as to where they're coming from. Is this guy just high on, on something, or does he have some sort of chemical imbalance in his, in his, in his body? Um, but there, that was up until this, this, I think it was about a year, within this last year, um, I responded to a call, and it, it wasn't my call, but I was just helping out, and it was of a family that was having a problem with their little girl. I mean, this girl was 12 years old, and she couldn't have weighed more than 70 pounds, just a tiny little girl. And what I saw in that girl, I never saw before since I've, since I've been on the job. I mean, 10 years isn't that much, but um, no drug that I've ever seen, no chemical imbalance or mental disability have I ever seen. This girl, from my heart, I believe she was demon-possessed just by the way she was acting, the things she was saying. And, and it, it took me back. Yeah, I, I've never seen that before. And um, it took four of us uh, and four or five firefighters just to hold this girl down. Um, just to get her some help, to get her on the, in, in the ambulance. It's out there. Demon possession is out there. It's real. Um, if you talk to any missionary coming off the mission field, um, it's there. Um, it's, more, it's more prevalent or more 
um, commonplace in other countries. Um, and, and why is that so? Well, because this country, we're so, um, we, we pump drugs into our system, we allow Satan in in other ways that he doesn't need to, demon, uh, to, to possess people. Um, but here in this country, it's happening. And kids in this country, men and women in this country, are actively pursuing uh, this demonism, the study of demons, and, and worshiping Satan and things like that. And, and he, they're, they're allowing him in. And so this is prevalent, this is real, and this is something that we have to be aware of. And so in this, in this uh, miracle here, we see the demons speak, and we get a little insight into what demons know and what they're able to do. Uh, we know that they're able to possess a human. Um, but also, what, what do they know? If you turn to James chapter 2, some of you guys are already thinking of this verse. James chapter 2 and verse 19. Um, <clears throat> we'll start in verse, uh, verse 18 just for context. But some, someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that there is one God. You do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. The demons not only believe that there is a God, they absolutely know there's a God. Um, they know that he created them. Um, they have been there since before <clears throat> creation, uh, since, since, since they were cast out of heaven. Um, Satan does not have any creatorial power. He cannot create things. Um, but Satan is a deceiver, and he's very good at mocking or mimicking things. Um, you think of, of Janice and Jambres um, in, in, in Pharaoh's court. Um, Aaron throws down the rod. They throw down their rod, and, and both turn into snakes. Um, but we see one, one had more power than the other. Um, in Mark chapter 3, in verse 11, in Mark chapter 3, in verse 11, we see, <clears throat> it says, And the unclean spirits, whenever they saw him, being Jesus, fell down before him and cried out, saying, you are the son of God, um, but he sternly warned them that they should not make him known. So the demons know who Jesus is. Um, they know um, that he is the son of God. Um, they knew his earthly name, Jesus of Nazareth. Um, but one thing that I think it's interesting from this miracle, one thing that they don't know is they at this time did not know his plan. Um, they thought, and they asked the question, did you come to destroy us? Is that why you're here? Um, so Satan didn't know. Satan didn't know why Jesus was here. Um, and and he, is, he does know the scriptures, uh, but he didn't know this. Um, and, and we see that going, leading all the way up to the cross. Um, he didn't know why he was here. And this is what the, the demons say. Um, they didn't know the plan of God. Um, <clears throat> but he says, they, says, they say, I know who you are. You are the Holy One of God. Um, being around since creation, they would have seen Jesus in all his glory, cast down, and, and now they're inhabiting the earth and, and dwelling or, or possessing men and women. It says, but in verse 25, it says, but Jesus rebuked him, saying, be quiet and come out of him. Now, why is this? Is what this demon said not true? Was he speaking the truth? Um, says, you are Jesus of Nazareth, that is true. Um, you are the Holy One of God, that's true. 
So why is Jesus sternly warning these demons not to say anything? Um, because light and darkness have no fellowship. Um, Jesus is not going to allow Satan to spread the gospel. Um, he's not going to allow Satan or his demons to, um, to share in that message. Um, and, and I think this is what's happening today, and, and what we're seeing in some churches is that, you know, well, what we, do, what we need to do is come together. You know, all the religions, we just need to come together and labor together and work for this common good of peace. And what we see here is that Jesus doesn't allow um, this, this demon to even say anything. Um, there's multiple reasons why. Um, he, didn't want his, um, and he didn't want his identity to fully be revealed. Um, he didn't want these, these demons to, to promote this or to share in this. And so he says to be quiet. He hushes them and orders them to come out. And when the unclean spirit had convulsed him, he cried out with a loud voice. He came out of him. And it says, then they were all amazed. Um, not only were they astonished at his teaching, but they were amazed at his works. Um, why, was, why was Jesus doing these things? Why was he performing miracles? He was performing miracles to prove that he is qualified and he is the Son of God. Um, and so he orders the demons come, to come out. And, and many in the synagogue, remember, these are religious leaders. These are men and women of the book. Um, they, know, they know the scriptures. And it says, what is this? What new doctrine is this? Um, For with authority he commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. Um, and from this point, it says immediately his fame spread abroad throughout the land um, and throughout the region of Galilee. Um, and Jesus chose to do this miracle in public um, for all to see. Everybody, was a, an eye, everybody in that synagogue was of eyewitness. And being the Sabbath day, we can, we can imagine it would have been pretty crowded. And so all saw this, and, and his fame spread abroad. Now, if you look at verse 29, uh, it says, Now, as soon as they had come out of the synagogue, um, they had entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. It says, But Simon's wife's mother lay sick with a fever, and they told him about her at once. So he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and immediately the fever left her, and she served them. So, from there, from the synagogue, they go for some, uh, a time to rest, uh, and Peter invites everybody over to his house, perhaps for a meal. But his wife's mother was sick, um, and I've been told that this is a better way to refer to your mother-in-law, uh, your wife's mother. Um, mother-in-law is, um, I guess, frowned upon. Um, so his wife's mother lay sick with a fever. Now, uh, not being a physician, uh, but, but doing a little bit of reading, uh, a fever is a very strong indicator that something else is wrong in the body. Um, there's an infection, um, something's wrong. And in our modern day in medicine culture, we just get in the car and go to the doctors and get medicine and, and come home. Um, that wasn't the case here. Um, a fever, um, there were some perhaps holistic things that they could have done, some natural remedies that they could have you know, tried, some oils and things like that. But aside from that, it was just make them comfortable and, and kind of sweat it out, break that fever. And so here, this is actually a very serious issue. Um, this isn't, you know, like I look at it, kids cutting teeth and, you know, they're running a little bit of a fever. Um, this was a huge issue. Um, and her being the, the wife's mother, she's up, upwards in age and, and perhaps a little weaker. 
and not able to combat these, these um, viruses and infections that were out there. Um, so, so Simon comes in, hears that his mother is sick, and it says, and they told him about her at once. They knew he was the solution to their problem, um, and he is the solution to ours as well. And so he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and immediately the fever left her. Immediately. Um, th that's, that, these are the miracles that are happening. It wasn't that he gave her some medicine and she got better. It says immediately the fever left her. He had the power not only over the evil spirits, but he has the power over disease and illness and infection, and he can call it out and, and dismiss it from bodies. And what is her reaction? This, is, this, is, this has struck me since I've... For, for several years, the reaction of Peter's uh, wife's mother. It says, what does she do as soon as she gets better? It says she serves them. She serves them. Um, it's a heart of service. Um, what's our response the moment we get saved um, or the moment we, we, we are blessed or we are given something by God? Um, is it our heart? Is it in our, is it in our, in our heart to serve him? Uh, this was her knee-jerk reaction. Um, she gets better and she goes to work, and she serves them, uh, saved, and then serves. Um, and it reminded me of, of Ephesians 2.10. Uh, we often quote Ephesians 2.8 and 9, and, and, and we, we, we enjoy these, those verses very much. But Ephesians 2.10 reminds us of something, uh, something else. It says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for or unto good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Why were we saved? Why, why, why are we here? Um, why, did, why didn't Jesus, at the moment of salvation, as soon as we get saved, pluck us up into heaven and we just disappear? Why did he leave us here? It's to serve him, to spread this gospel, and, and, and to, to worship him. And so this is what this, this uh, Peter's wife's mother, we don't even, we, her name's not even mentioned, but, but her service is forever immortalized. And now in verse 32, it says, At evening when the sun had set, they brought to him all who were sick and those who were demon-possessed. And the whole city was gathered together at the door. Then he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he did not allow the demons to speak because they knew him. Okay, again, we have that same thing of him silencing demons, not allowing him them to display who he was or who he is. So at evening, he's there, he's in this house. Um, he perhaps had been teaching all day long, and now there's a line out the door of just everybody from town. Remember that once this demon was uh, um, cast out of this man in the synagogue, that his fame spread. I mean, this was you know, like Facebook, everybody's on, everybody knows about it all at once, and everybody from that local town came and found Peter's house and lined up out the door, and they said they brought to him all who were sick and those who were demon-possessed. Now, in the Gospels, we only have a few miracles mentioned, a handful. But in the end of John, it says that if everything that Jesus did and said were written down, it says the world couldn't contain the, the, the number of scrolls. We only are given a glimpse, a small picture of what Jesus actually did. The, the perhaps, perhaps thousands of people that he healed during his time here on earth. 
And it says those were who, who were demon-possessed. And it says the whole city was gathered together. And, and you get this idea that he was healing people and casting out demons well into the night. Um, a long, hard day's work. And then we have verse 35. It says, now in the morning, having risen a long while before daylight, he went out and departed to a solitary place, and there he prayed. Uh, now, we all in this room have heard countless messages on this verse. Um, we're not going to break any new ground here. Uh, but what I want to remind you guys of this evening is that Jesus prayed. Jesus, the Son of God, prayed. Um, the one who the demons knew who he was. The one who was there before the foundations of this world. He prayed. Why is he praying? And how could he pray? He had been up all night casting out demons. Um, no doubt he was tired. No doubt he was tired. I mean, Jesus, although he was 100% God, at the very same time he was 100% man. He felt the same pains that we feel. He, he had the same hunger that we feel. He got tired just like we get tired. But he's up all night laboring, serving his father, and then what does he do? He gets up a long while before daylight. Um, I think the sun is rising now at like 6 in the morning. Um, I usually see it as I'm driving home from work. But a long while before daylight. I mean, what are we looking at? Four, three, four in the morning? A long while. And it says he departed. So he gets out of the house, and he goes and finds a solitary place. And there, Jesus prays. So considering prayer, how important is it for us to pray? If the Son of God, the Savior of the world, the one who is part of the, the Trinity, part of the Godhead, if he prays, how much more important is it for us to pray? How vital is it for us to pray? Um, William McDonald says, I'd rather pray than solve all the mysteries of prayer. Just pray. Speak to God. Um, it's in that quiet time, it's in that place where we are pouring our, out our hearts to God that our hearts are aligned with his. And we could go on. I mean, prayer is just a topic that uh, we could have a conference about prayer. Um, in fact, you know, there's the, the, national, the North American National Week of Prayer where they, they spend the whole week of prayer. If, if, just as a, as a side note, if you guys want some practical, good practical teaching on prayer, and if you YouTube National Week of Prayer, all those messages that they list that they gave for the last two years are on that YouTube channel. There's, I think there's 52 messages. Joe Reese, Nate Bramson, all, the, all these people, Scott and Mike. Um, and, and some of them are short little snippets, and some of them are, are, are you know 30 minutes or long. But um, prayer, how important is it to, for us to pray? Um, there's a quote here, and the author's unknown. I'm going to try to read it because it's a little small. <clears throat> it says prayer. What is, what is prayer? Prayer has divided seas, rolled up flowing rivers, made flinty rocks gush into fountains, quenched flames of fire, muzzled lions, disarmed vipers and poisons, marshaled the stars against the wicked, stopped the course of the moon, arrested the rapid sun in its great race, burst open iron gates, recalled souls from eternity, 
conquered the strongest devils, commanded legions of angels down from heaven, prayer has brought one man from the bottom of the sea and carried another man in a chariot of fire to heaven. What has prayer not done? The importance of prayer. If the Lord Jesus spent time, and not just a, not just a short time, if he spent hours in prayer, and, and we, we take it from this that this was a daily routine for him, if he spent hours in prayer, how important is it for us to pray? Pray until you pray. That's what, that's what um, Scott and Mike always say. Pray until you pray. Um, keep praying. Um, it, it, we see, we see the, the, the kind of the practicalness of this a long while before the day even starts. Before the day even gets started, Jesus is praying. And then we see the course change after this prayer. Um, immediately following. But we also see the, some of the other practical things. It's a solitary place. Um, later, in other Gospels, we're told to go into your closet, to go into that prayer closet and pray. Um, it says there he prayed. Now, he's, a long while, he's spending hours with the Lord in prayer. And then in verse 36, it says, And Simon and those who were with him searched for him. And when they found him, they said to him, Everyone is looking for you. But he said to them, Let us go into the next towns, that I may preach there also, because for this purpose I have come forth. And he was preaching in their synagogues throughout all the Galilee and casting out demons. All night long he had been healing people and casting out demons. The line was out the door and down the street, and people knew that he was at Peter's house, and he was healing people and doing great things, miracles, helping the sick. So the day the day is done, he goes to bed, no doubt, the word continues to go out that, that this, the healers here, the, the, this guy can, can save you from your, from your disease and, and cast out your demons. And so the line perhaps is even longer in the morning. And, and Peter is, is frantic looking for the Lord. And he says, Lord, where, where are you? Where have you been? And he says, what does he say? Let's go into the next town. Now, if he stayed and cast out demons and, and continued to heal the sick, would that have been a good thing? Of course. But in this, in this point, it would have been outside the will of God. Because, because, because of him spending time in prayer with the Father, the Father has guided him to go to the next town. And now it's, it, and, and we know that the Savior, every footstep that he took was in the will of the Father. Now it's time for him to move on. And for us, too, it can be kind of cloudy. Um, I know sometimes I, I have tr trouble with this. When you see a work that, that perhaps is producing a tremendous amount of fruit and, and things are going well, but there's an open door over here. And, and you feel as if if you stay here, well, there's still going to be more fruit here, and no doubt Jesus would have healed more people and more people would have gotten better. But it was outside the will of the Father to stay there. And he was supposed to go to the next town. And it was because of prayer that got him to this point. And how important is it for us as a, as a body, as a group of believers, individually, to spend time in prayer and to get the guidance from the Father as to what we're supposed to do, where we're supposed to go, what open door are we supposed to go through next. Um, and, and we see this in the life of the apostles. Paul says, I, my, my desire is to go there, but the Spirit has hindered me. I, I can't, but I want to go. And then he eventually goes later. But, so it, it, it's, it's that prayerful consideration of, of the ministry. And we're going to close with this last miracle here, uh, Jesus cleansing a leper. 
It says, now a leper came to him, imploring him, kneeling down to him and saying to him, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Then Jesus moved with compassion, stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I am willing, be cleansed. Um, and as soon as he, uh, sorry, as soon as he had spoken, immediately the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. So we have this leper. We, we've had a, a, a demon put, uh, cast out that was mentioned, and we've had sick people that were healed at the doorstep of, of Simon's house. But here we see uh, the first leper that was healed uh, in, in, in the book of Mark. And we, we, know, we know from, and we're all aware of what leprosy was. It was a skin disease that would deteriorate and break down. Um, it was uh, very contagious. Um, and so way back in Leviticus, there is law and rules as to how to deal with those that, have, uh, that, that are leprous and what are they to do. Um, and uh, towns would have whole sections outside of the town dedicated for those that were leprous and those that were sick. Um, and you were, if you were a leper, you were to, as people would approach you, you were to yell out, unclean, unclean, just to make them aware so that they, they don't come in contact and, and get this terrible disease. It was a terrible disease. Um, and and I, I would love to be stand corrected, but I don't think we see in Scripture anyone that got better from leprosy just on their own. I think it, within Scripture, every time leprosy was, was somebody with leprosy was healed, it was a, a miracle that took place, um, an act of God, a divine intervention. And so here we have this leper, and he hears of Jesus, and he comes to him, and, he, and notice how he comes. Um, he comes imploring him, begging him, knowing that he is the only way that I'm going to get better. And this is exactly how we are to come to God. Leprosy for us is a picture of sin in the Bible um, because it, it deteriorates. And that's what sin does to us. It breaks us down um, and it grows and it, and it spreads throughout our body until it's affected everything. And, and this is what this man was. He was leprous. And, and if the Lord hadn't stepped in, perhaps he would die from this disease. And so he knew, and he came begging Jesus, saying, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Now, what, what's, what's significant in this phrase here? He doesn't say, if you can, you can make me clean. He wasn't questioning Jesus' ability. He knew the Lord Jesus had the power to heal him. But he says, if you're willing, he knew the ability of God. He says, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Ability. We see three things in this, in this miracle here. We see the love of the Lord Jesus. We see his ability, and we see his willingness. He says, if you are willing, you can make me clean, the ability. In verse 41, it says, then Jesus moved with compassion. Moved with compassion, knowing that this man was desperate, I mean, he was at his last, just on his last leg, and he needed the Lord Jesus to save him. Jesus moved with compassion. What does he do? He stretched out his hand and touched him. Now, this should have taken everybody aback. I mean, Peter and James and John and everybody, you do not touch a leprous person. That was, uh, it was against the law. Why, why, why was it? Because they were unclean, and, and now Jesus would be unclean. Why is this okay? Why is it okay for Jesus, the Lord Jesus Christ, to touch this leprous, this leprous man? Is because he had life-giving power. 
He had the power to take away that um, disease. And, ex and again, this beautiful picture of salvation, he has the power to take away our sin. Only he has that power um, because he took it on himself. He paid the penalty for our sin on the cross so that we, as we, we sing often in the morning, so that we might never judgment know um, because he took on that sin. So Jesus moved with compassion, touched him. We don't know how long this man had leprosy. Um, and, and keep in mind, leper, lepers were supposed to be outside the town and nobody was allowed to touch him. So this man, perhaps for a, years, had gone without the touch of a, another human being. And who's the first person to touch him? It's the Lord Jesus. And he touches him, moved with compassion, he touches him. And he says, I am willing, I am willing, be cleansed. And that's exactly what he did on the cross. He says, I am willing to take away your sin. I am willing to take your place. Um, Jesus never sinned. He was perfect, as we remembered this morning. But he was made sin for us. He allowed that sin punishment to be put upon him for our, uh, in our place. And it says, as soon as he spoke, the leprosy left him, and he was cleansed. Um, again, having that power over these diseases, proving that he is um, capable and he is able and he is that perfect servant. It says he strictly warned this man, uh, warned him and sent him away at once and said to him, see that you'd say nothing to anyone, but go your way, show yourself to the priest and offer your, uh, for your cleansing those things which Moses commanded as a testimony to them. However, he went out and began to proclaim it freely and to spread the matter so that Jesus could no longer openly enter the city, but was outside in, a desert, in deserted places, and they came to him from every direction. Jesus heals this man and gives him very specific instructions. He says, go and show yourselves to the priests. Why did he say this? Well, because in Leviticus 14, there was a very specific order as to what you were to do if your leprosy um, was taken away or you, were, you got better. There was an order. And just like we looked at this morning, Jesus put himself under the law so that he might redeem those who are under the law. Um, uh, completely fulfilling the law, never breaking it, but fulfilling it to its fullest extent. And he, he tells this man, don't tell anybody. Now, a couple minutes ago, he was healing, uh, uh, casting out a demon in the synagogue in the open public letting the world know. But here, he says, don't, don't tell anybody. But what was it? He says, this was the purpose. And offer your cleansing for those things which Moses commanded to them as a testimony to them. Um, the high priest, no doubt, would have been there, and they would have seen this man coming in, and he says, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm clean. That's not an everyday occurrence. Um, people don't just get better from leprosy. Um, and for them to see this, it definitely would have touched them. It would have spoken to them. And Jesus gives this man a warning, says, don't tell anybody. But what does he do? He goes and tells everybody. I mean, and what was the result of the disobedience of this man? The work of the Lord was hindered. Um, no longer could he go into the towns because now the word had spread. And now everybody with leprosy was coming. And now he couldn't, he couldn't go into those villages that he so desired to. He had to go out into the, into the um, des deserted places and force people to come to him. So this man's disobedience hindered the word of God, the work of God, and our disobedience can hinder the work of God. When God specifically tells us to do something and we don't do it, it hinders his work. That being said, this man was, was told to tell nobody 
and he told everybody. And we are told to tell everybody, but we don't tell anybody. Um, we've been talking about the lesser of two evils these last few months and weeks and years. Um, this man, it, it was strict disobedience, but I think he was so excited to, to, to tell the world that he was healed, um, again, again in disobedience, but we too are to share this good news, to go out into those highways and byways and compel them to come in, have those eyes of a fisherman, look for those opportunities to share that gospel, and, and, and pray for opportunities. Spend those hours in the prayer closet, and the Lord is going to open doors. Um, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we again want to thank you for the, the privilege to open your word and to uh, look at our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, to see that, uh, that perfect servant, that one who is perfectly qualified, um, the Son of God, that, that he would come and he would do your will perfectly and that he would go all the way to the cross, uh, that he would allow himself to be crucified on our behalf taking on that sin punishment that we deserved. And Father, that he would um, complete that work and he would proclaim with a loud voice, it is finished. Father, we're so thankful for him this evening. And Father, we pray that if there's anyone in this room that does not know where they will go when they die, we pray, Lord, that they would stay behind, that they would ask, um, that, they would, um, that they would meet Jesus and that they would see what he has done for them. Father, we just pray that uh, you would remind us of these things this week, that we would look for opportunities to share your gospel, and Lord, that we would um, be conformed more into the image of him, um, of that perfect son that you've given to us. Um, we pray, Lord, that you would part us with your blessing and bring us back safely next week. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.